0: Hello, I'm Michael Hainsworth. While housing is largely a provincial matter, the federal government is under increasing pressure to address the national housing crisis. The CMHC has already told us that we need to double housing starts in this country if we're going to meet demand, but meddling in municipal affairs is likely to just bog down an already sluggish process. Meet Benjamin Dacus, the Associate Vice President of Public Affairs at the C.D. Howe Institute, He says, there are ways Ottawa can get involved beyond the existing GST rebate for builders putting shovels in the ground on purpose-built rentals. He joins us now. Thank you for joining us.
1: Thanks for having me on the show today.
0: In your intelligence memo titled The Proper Federal Role in Housing, you point out that a break on the GST should be expanded beyond the rental unit construction and then at the time that the tax was introduced, it didn't really do apply to single family homes until the price tag was north of what, 350,000? Exactly. So
1: the way that the federal uh, GST rebate works is that uh, right now, if you're uh, building a house that's gonna be occupied by its eventual owner, uh, there's a, a rebate that you get or you apply for, uh, for your GST that you uh, that would eventually be paid by the, by the owner. The way it works though is that uh, that rebate only uh, is going to kick in uh, or at values below $350,000 and then it gradually gets wound back as a home increases a in value beyond $450,000. And now my, the question I think for everyone is where the heck can you find a home for more than $350,000, uh, so especially as a, a, new, a, a new home? Uh, those numbers uh, come from the 1990s and back in the 1990s, uh, early 1990s, that, those rebates apply to about 90% of homes, uh, certainly at the, in terms of like the, the top end. 90% of homes would have been uh, getting some GST relief. Now it's the exact opposite, where 90% of homes uh, are, are, are going to be uh, paying most of the GST. So the fact that these thresholds have not been indexed to inflation uh, for decades is driving a huge increase in price uh, in construction costs uh, for uh, new homes.
0: Yeah, I think in 1990, $350,000 would get you what we would have derisively referred to as a McMansion. Exactly. <laughs> now, when we spoke with the CMHC on the podcast uh, about these issues, they did point out that it wasn't just single-family homes we needed to focus on. We did need to focus on purpose-built rentals. And, and for rentals, if the GST break was a good start, how would rethinking depreciating thresholds for owners of rental buildings take the idea to the next level, as you suggest.
1: Exactly. So l- there are some really deep questions I think we need to ask ourselves in the tax system about how we treat uh, income for rental properties. Because, for example, rental income uh, in, in the residential s- sector uh, is up against uh, capital gains income that for most people who own a home is tax free. We're not talking about you know rental income versus capital gains uh, in- income in the regular economy where there is an attempt, at least in terms of equalization, uh, even, even though there's only a, uh, a partial inclusion. Here, there's no inclusion of, of capital gains. So it's a very different world, even to begin with. So then you start getting into some questions about some of the tactical or specific things that you wanna do on, on rental income. Uh, cap, uh, depreciation is one starting point. Uh, there's uh, other ideas out there in terms of Creating a, a bigger, a broader investment tax credit uh, for for investments in uh, low income or affordable or attainable uh, uh, rental rental housing. Uh, so there are lots of different options that the government needs to think about that are very much within its boundaries as the, the, the at least as the federal government in terms of administering the tax system uh, that really should be thinking about for for rental income or, or rental properties.
0: Help me understand this, though, you know, I, I'm not a tax accountant, I don't even play one on TV, how would treating rental income the same way as capital gains move the needle on more units? It sounds like we're just putting more money in a developer's pocket.
1: Yeah, it's worth keeping in mind that the rent, the rental system, uh, being a, a, a owner of a, a rental property, is a brutal business. Uh, for example, uh, in most provinces, uh, you, as a owner of a rental property, you're subject to various forms of rent control. You're, for, you're subject to uh, capital that uh, faces significant risk, uh, significant uh, uh, social risk in terms of uh, uh, you know where, where or you know, government government policy risk. Uh, but then the bigger story is: is there a bigger social good in terms in terms of housing? in the sense that this is uh, what many people have described as requiring a wartime effort in terms of how much much effort we're going to put into investing in housing. Uh, Is there a case for uh, rethinking how we treat rental income uh, to ensure that uh, companies have an incentive in a very difficult business uh, to invest more?
0: So at the end of the day, this would mean that I put up a, a building that's designed to be rented out, and the income I get from that would be pure profit. I don't have to give it back to the government. That's what incentivizes me to have an apartment building for rent in the first place.
1: Yeah. So again, these you know the the, the approach that we take in Canada, which is uh, the right one to to get uh, as much housing built as possible, as so, afford you know, as affordably to uh, the government and taxpayers as possible, is Uh, is private developers. This is the way in which we can uh, get more housing built. And this is the way in which we can ensure that people who need housing the most, uh, people at the low end, get it. It is through uh, investors. It is through uh, private development. The question becomes, what are the the right ways in which we, through the tax system, uh, can encourage investment? One of the things that's really tricky in the the, uh, rental world is that there's various different uh, uh, tax treatments. Uh, of, a, of a wide variety of providers. There's lots of nonprofit providers. There are uh, providers uh, that are real estate investment trusts. They have one a, a tax system. There's there are investors that are uh, owned by um, institutional investors. So there's a huge range of of tax uh, of tax treatments that we have to be really careful about when, we, when we're uh, thinking about any any policy changes. So I wouldn't advise uh, rushing ahead at, on any specific. Uh, uh, change on rental, we just need to have, have a real conversation uh, about what are the various approaches that we, we can take uh, to encourage more investment.
0: Yeah, but how long do we have to keep having a real conversation, Ben? As far back as 2009, the Institute was calling for a U.S. style rental housing investment tax credit.
1: Oh, okay, yeah. So that's an example of something that can be done. That's And that's why this is a, that's a specifically good idea, uh, because that's a policy that works uh, for rental providers of any tax treatment it'll work for nonprofits it works for uh, it works for pr- uh, private developers it works for a, a wide range of, of, of providers so that's something that we absolutely should be should be looking into deeper questions about uh, where we should take the treatment of rental income in general pose deep questions about uh, our tax system. that should be part of any tax reform that uh, this or any future government goes into
0: Expanding the housing subsidy known as the Canada Housing Benefit would require working with the provinces. What's the risk of that becoming a politicized process?
1: It definitely does risk becoming a politicized process whenever you have federal or provincial negotiation, but it has worked in the past. Uh, And the system that we ended up creating uh, back in about uh, seven or eight years ago is a really good model. The Canada Housing Benefit is a better approach to supporting a wide range of people in housing need. Because rather than other approaches that only say support people in social housing, or only support people in uh, who own, own their homes, uh, for example, with supports for people to reduce their property taxes uh, if they own their home and have low income, uh, the Canada housing benefits supports people across the housing spectrum, and so it's neutral as to whether uh, you know what kind of home that you're going to be in. It very much is the right approach to, to be the lowest cost way of ensuring that. Uh, people in the most, the most dire housing need get that support for housing.
0: You, you said something interesting back there, and, and it's about the fact that this is the biggest uh, need for housing since, you know, the wartime effort to provide the returning veterans with the houses that gave us all of these little bungalow-style cottages in the suburbs of cities like Toronto and, and Vancouver and elsewhere. Um, why not suggest ottawa get back involved in the housing process of actually putting shovels in the ground like we did back then
1: yeah because it goes to a fundamental rule in government policy is that when everyone is responsible uh, for a problem no one's responsible and we need to remember at the end of the day which levels of government really control the levers in terms of uh getting a house built uh and facilitating getting things done and it's almost entirely at, it is entirely at the provincial and municipal level. So if the federal government is trying to intervene directly into municipal decisions, uh, it's going to just end up making more parties accountable, more parties responsible, and therefore no one's actually going to be accountable. And that's just a starting point in terms of the, the federal, uh, potential federal uh, uh, missteps that might, uh, that might happen
0: you're concerned that this is a pass-the-buck situation
1: it absolutely becomes a, a pass-the-buck situation is a, a starting point of the problem but let me give you another example of a problem is that what we've been hearing about in terms of the kind of the the high level litmus test of whether the federal government is going to support any municipal government's housing plan uh, is whether they're going to allow four units to be built as of right in in any Uh, Any lot. Now that's a great goal. Don't get me wrong. That's that's an absolutely wonderful goal to have in terms of supporting more housing growth. But the question becomes, what else are cities doing, Uh, and and whether the that's just the one rule that they they impose introduced. Is that going to be what's going to be sufficient for uh, the the federal uh, federal money? What if cities start dramatically increasing development charge costs or put in place other rules in terms of heritage designation or, or other policies that, that end up slowing, slowing down housing, even though they've they've passed this one uh, specific test that the federal government is going to introduce. The federal government simply cannot be looking at every uh, uh, municipality on every single part of their zoning rules in 10 different provincial uh, planning regimes and, and and peer deep enough into their policies to know what's going to work in terms of their, their municipal process. The federal government needs to be focused on outcomes and a process of the province uh, the provinces are going to impose to ensure that cities are going to meet that goal.
0: Your intelligence memo stresses the importance of Ottawa not getting in the way of municipalities, but they are notorious for red tape. What's the federal solution to that municipal problem?
1: Well, one thing that the federal government can do to really support a deeper understanding of the extent of the red of the red tape problem in Canadian municipalities is get better data on this. Because even when the provinces try to do, do this for their own municipal governments, uh, things get uh, things get tricky. Uh, for example, uh, the, uh, the province of Ontario is introduce, introduced, introduced uh, for example, regulation or uh, new rules and some recent planning act changes that specify timelines uh, for uh, an official review. The problem, though, becomes that cities start unofficial reviews. And that's really difficult to measure when you're just looking at Uh, a provincially provincially designated system of what an official review looks like. What we really need to have is a system and a a program in which uh, we're we're testing across various different um, jurisdictions how long it takes to actually get stuff in the ground. And the good news is we don't need to start this from scratch. Is that the World Bank, uh, after a bit of a pause uh, during, during the pandemic before, Uh, Is restarting uh, what was called business ready uh, to to do that and to to go look at individual cities uh, when they uh, in terms of how long it takes to get something done, taxes are part of it, uh, uh, resolving contracts is part of it, but the core thing that Canadian cities have always been really bad at uh, has been on getting a building permit or getting an electricity connection. But the only reason we know that as in terms of what a Canadian city is is that that's only for Toronto because the World Bank has only done that study uh, for any given country uh, for the largest city. Uh, they need the government to directly ask uh, for uh, for the study. So the federal government uh, needs to have the political courage uh, to ask for the study because what it's going to mean is that some cities that have been laggards in terms of uh, long, long approval times, uncertain processes, they're going to be called out by this process and the federal government needs to have the fortitude to be able to uh, puts a uh, put lens on cities about how long it's gonna t- it takes them to to get stuff done
0: so essentially, shame a municipality mm-hmm. into cutting red tape
1: yeah uh, if, effectively, yes, uh, but we need to do this comprehensively, and we need to have a system of of rewards uh, behind that where if they can if they can reduce uh, red tape, get more uh, you know make it faster, to get stuff done, there should be reward for it and again, this is what I mean in terms of being focused on outcomes. Uh, that's the kind of thing that uh, governments uh, uh, can be focused on uh, to to get more stuff built.
0: Yeah, the World Bank idea is an interesting thought, particularly because then it sort of takes the hot potato out of the hands of the federal government, uh, creates a layer of transparency, and it's an independent third party making these assessments.
1: Exactly. There's no lobbying the World Bank in terms of, uh, at, least, at least there shouldn't be, uh, because they're going to be, this is something to be, to be blunt about it. This is a problem that the World Bank faced in terms of why they stopped the process before. They're now going to be, in my opinion, very sensitive to that in terms of uh, making sure that that does not happen anymore. Uh, so if they can uh, be the, or the, the group that's gonna um, uh, administer the this, 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 this system, it's gonna be much easier for the federal government to be able to say, uh, hands, well, our hands are tied in terms of the outcome that we're measuring. We're, we're gonna be focused on what they're gonna be uh, 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 measuring, and we will be rewarding based on that.
0: So Benjamin, if there was a public policy uh, analyst or a policy maker watching or listening to this conversation, if there was one thing you wanted them to walk away with, what would it be?
1: It's that the federal government needs to really empower the provinces and really drive the provinces uh, to administer housing or harm. Uh, we're seeing this, this right now in terms of the, the, the provincial level, uh, a lot, uh, you know, stepping back from some of their commitments. What we saw uh, uh, in mid October, mid late October, of the problems of Ontario reversing some of the official plan changes is going to be quite dramatically negative in terms of housing uh, housing supply. Uh, that's just an example of the sort of things that the province, that the provinces, really have to administer. Uh, for uh, municipalities to act. And it's the federal government that should be really working with the provinces to create a system like Official Plan Amendments, for so this is an example, or whatever system is gonna uh, take place after this, to really uh, make sure that municipalities get stuff built. As uh, again, when the federal government's directly in be intervening in hundreds of different municipal governments, uh, it's going take. it's not gonna be scalable, it's not gonna be able to think long-term, but it can work with the provinces but, you know, 10 problems, and frankly fewer than that, that are really the source of the problem. And you can create the right incentives with them to ensure that uh, uh, they are setting the, the right framework for municipalities to get stuff built.
0: Ben, it's always great being with you. Thank you for your time and insight. Thanks for having me on. Benjamin Dacus is an Associate Vice President of Public Affairs at the C.D. Howe Institute and the author of the intelligence memo titled The Proper Federal Role in Housing. Read it at cdhowe.org. I'm Michael Hainsworth. Thanks for joining us.
1: You've been listening to the C.D. Howe Institute podcast with Michael Hainsworth. Subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. The C.D. Howe Institute is an independent, not-for-profit research institute whose mission is to raise living standards by fostering economically sound public policies. The institute is widely considered to be Canada's most influential think tank and a trusted source of essential policy intelligence, distinguished by nonpartisan, evidence-based research and subject to... To definitive expert review. Visit cdhow.org
0: and follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thank you.